I love the sound of fellowship in the morning. Beautiful. Turn in your Bibles for our reading to Romans. We have Romans and Peter. Romans, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 3 of chapter 12. Some of you with good memory will remember that two weeks ago we covered those first two verses. So let's start with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. And then 1 Peter 4 Verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we got our Bible open there to First Peter. Let's just start there. Peter, in our passage here, like Paul in our passage last week, just breaks out into praise to the Lord. He can't help it. It's doxology. The contemplation of the things of God, the service of God, the ministry, the use of God's gifts, and all of these things, how God has richly bestowed upon us all these blessings in Christ, as we saw last week out of Ephesians chapter 1. And then the manifest efforts that are made by all of us to serve one another using the gifts of the Spirit. Peter just can't help himself. He breaks out in joyous benediction. He says, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what Peter and Paul in Romans were talking about are spiritual gifts. And there are actually four passages uh, that speak specifically of spiritual gifts. We've just read two of them. Another one is in Ephesians chapter 4, and another one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And these four passages give us some... Uh, idea of what we need to know concerning spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit, gifts that God gives to His people in order for them 
to minister the call that God has placed upon their life in the church. And uh, the short passage, as short as this one, is in Ephesians where the gifts that are given are kind of put into a beautiful imagery of the conquering warrior who comes back from battle laden with all kinds of treasures and bounty from the conquered people that he's just been victorious of. And it says that he leads captivity captive. In other words, he takes all of the spoils of war and brings them back home to his people. And that in Ephesians chapter 4, there's a picture and a quotation from the Old Testament that shows that picture. of That's what Christ did in his crucifixion. He won a great victory. He won a great battle. And in his resurrection, he came to life. And he has this victorious return back with a parade and pageantry back to his people and lifts up the spoils. And the spoils are gifts And the gifts are people that he has redeemed. He has plucked them out of the fire. He has pulled them to himself. He has gloriously saved them and sanctified them and is is working in them to bring about the service upon the earth that the kingdom of God brings during this time they were on earth when we are the church. So he lists them. He says there's gifts. He gave gifts to men. And he gave some apostles, some evangelists, and some, uh, what was the other one? Pastors, teachers is, the, is the, the fourth one. Apostles, prophets. Apostles, prophets, and pastor, teachers. And they, there's a construction there that makes us think that that's maybe one office, twofold of one office. And then um, he bestows upon them these gifts. These are, these are the gifts of leadership. And they're enumerated. When Peter comes to enumerate them, he just mentions two broad categories. He says, To each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. In that passage in Ephesians, Paul talks about that he, God, through Christ, has given us these gifted people, these gifted men, whose job it is to equip the saints in order for the saints to do the ministry. There's an extra step in there that we don't sometimes catch. (laughs) Most of us think God gave these wonderful gifts, the evangelists and the pastors and, and the teachers and so forth, to do the work of the ministry. And there's a sense, of course, in which they do, but their ministry primarily in that office, and as they are gifted, is to equip the saints for ministry. I like the way we put it in our bulletin every month. I checked it, I mean, every week. I checked to see if it's still there, and it still is. If you've got your bulletin with you, just look at the very, very last page, and there's a listing there of the senior pastor right in the center of the page, and then the session and associate pastors, and then way down there in the bottom, there's Tommy's name. (laughs) I note two steps above Tommy is Ron. By the way, that's not the salary structure. I'll, I'll promise you that. And the last one listed is Jeff Barber. And Jeff, of course, does most of the work around here, period. <laughs> so that, but, but what I want you to see is up at the top of the page. See up there at the very top, it says front and center, ministers. Who are the ministers in this church? The members of this church family who in serving their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ extend His kingdom in Dallas and to the world. I think 
I think we got it right in the bulletin. The gifts that God gave in that first instance are gifted people. Men who then equip the saints and they do the work of the ministry. Well, what is the work of the ministry? Well, Paul is going to flesh that out a little bit more. But Peter gives us the major divisions here. He says they serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter just says varied grace. That's all he says. Paul, who's ten times more wordy than Peter, if you'll read Peter, you'll see he said everything Paul said. He just said it in two little epistles and Paul took about you know, a dozen letters, some of them quite long. Because Paul spells it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's got all these gifts listed. He talks about them. He talks about us being members of one body and how that each, each in the body have different parts and each part is necessary and we're interdependent and we support one another and on and on and on. Paul goes to flesh it out. I wish we had time to work through that passage, but we don't. But that's the gist of it. And as well as enumerating uh, a number of those gifts which Paul does in Romans in our main text we saw as well. But he calls them good stewards of God's varied grace. It's Not everybody has the same gift. There's a variation. There's a variety in the gifts that people have. He said, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Well, those are the two broad categories, the speakers and the servers. There's the two broad categories of the ministers within the church. Now, some are, think that's a little formal in the sense that that ought to be interpreted. The, the speakers are those that have the speaking gifts like the apostles and the prophets and the pastor teachers and the evangelists and so forth. And then the servants, and that word for serve is our word, we get our word deacon. And some think it's talking about the two orders, the order of the elders and the order of the deacons. And it certainly can, can indicate that, but it might be that it's a little more generalized across the population of the whole membership, that one serving doesn't necessarily have to be an ordained deacon. Someone witnessing and testifying or maybe teaching someone a principle or a doctrine of Scripture don't have to be an ordained elder, a teaching elder especially, to do that. But those are the two broad categories of ministry. Now Paul, and now let's turn back to our main text, which is Romans. Uh, Paul is going to set it forth in, in two big chunks, and I hope we can get to both of them. One is the gifts of grace, and have a lot to say there, and then he's going to show us not only the gifts and, and the operation of those gifts, but then he's going to give us a lot of admonition and exhortation as to how to exercise those gifts there beginning in, in verse 9. So let's, let's take a, a run through this and see what we can get from the Word of God on, on these gifts. He says, Father, by the grace given to me, and that is Paul's apostolic calling. That was God's grace. God, remember, he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, Paul is in that first order. He's in the apostolic group. These are the foundation layers. These are the ones that set down the first principles. These are the ones upon whom the rest of the church will be built following Christ as the cornerstone. They will be, along with the prophets, the primary ordainers of things that are to happen in the church. And the apostles are to set things in order. 
and to, and to insist upon the maintenance and the continuation of that order. And Paul was a, an apostle called out of due season, but he was nevertheless an apostle with full apostolic authority. And I'll tell you what, he, he, he stated it straightforward. You'll get it in the book of Galatians, and you get it in 2 Corinthians. He'll let you know something about his apostolic authority. But that's the grace that is given to him. So based on that apostolic authority, I say to everyone among you, he has an authority within his office that enables him to sort of tell us what we need to know. He has an, that apostolic authority. And so this is the, the, the thing he starts off with. He says, everyone, I'm going to say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. <laughs> You've got gifts, and my goodness, aren't you proud of them? You've got gifts, and are you good at it? You've got gifts, and it's wonderful. And before you know it, you're, you're kind of recognized for your gifts. And, uh, and people want to be like it. One of the great examples in the New Testament was there was a man that had the gift of generosity. And he sold a piece of property, and he just gave the whole price of the property at the apostles' feet. And I mean to tell you, that got everybody's attention in, in the little nascent church there in Jerusalem. And they, they admired him and they, they thought it was wonderful what he had done. And there was a couple over here says, we could do that. We could get that kind of adulation and praise and glory and if we'll just do something similar. So they took some money and, 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 and gave a part of it to the apostles as though they'd given it all. And you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Remember the trial they had? Peter said, it was your money. You could do anything you wanted to with it. You didn't have to, what? Lie to the Holy Spirit. So even in exercising spiritual gifts, there's a way to sin. And that's exactly what they did. They wanted the glory of the gift without the honesty and the integrity of the gift. And so he's admonishing us at the very beginning not to find a point of pride in the gift that God has given us. Uh, this is especially true of those that stand up in front of people, um, preachers and, and evangelists and people that have the gift of speaking and, and have the gift of the Word. It's easy because people come up and say, oh, that was a wonderful sermon and you taught me things and they give you wonderful compliments and praise and before long it can go to your head and you can begin to think you may be the most important person in this church and not so, not so at all. I remember, I don't have time to tell a long story, but most of you know that know me, know my story. I went to college seminary and then straight into the ministry. And before one year was out, I had a pretty good-sized church in Georgia, First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, one of the, I think it's the 85th largest church in North America now. Once they got rid of me, they started growing. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that got me, I was, I was preaching, teaching, and laboring, and doing all, and, and I, I realized that, that I had probably bit off more than I could chew, and that I was thinking of myself more capable and more highly than I should think. And as that work, and I was preaching through this very text, the whole book of Romans, and I remember it just, just working on my soul that I needed to step back, step aside, step away, and let the Lord work in me in other ways. And so I left the ministry. It mystified a lot of people. There was nothing wrong. We hadn't done anything to be suspended. Nobody asked for my resignation. I stunned the poor deacons when I presented it to them. 
But we stepped away from the ministry with, with, with doubts and confusion and, and wondering what our life would be like and what we would do next. And, and I was wondering if, how great my sin was by putting my hand to the plow and then looking back and, and, and this failure and all of that. And I wasn't even 30 years old yet when all this was happening. And I remember very carefully that this, it was this verse that convicted me. Now, I'm not sure I had the right response to it, but I do know that it convicted me that I felt like I was in a place I was more elevated and all that I needed to be. We were, at that time, we were one of the fastest, well, the fastest growing Baptist church in the state of Georgia for a brief period of time there. And as you see, that continued to grow. So it was the Lord doing the work. But, but this, this just struck at my heart. And ever since then, the Lord has not had to humble me because I've been humiliated time and time and time again in my ministry. Never once getting back to what I had when I was 28 years old. But the Lord has led and He's preserved and He's kept and He's provided and, and it's been a sweet walk with the Lord. Even though I feel like in many ways I failed Him. But that, that, I just couldn't go on and the Lord wasn't going to let me go on in a position where I was just really focused on myself, my talents, my gifts, my efforts, and my successes. And they were... They were it was difficult, so the Lord sort of, sort of breaks us. I, I, well, I won't go any more about that. That's, that's just part of my personal struggle with the Lord on, in, in this area. But I know what it is. It's, but to think with sober judgment, and the word there, sober, is the word wise, to, to have a wise judgment. In other words, be able to assess realistically what you have. When God gives us gifts, sometimes they are, they, they are correlative to our talents. Sometimes there's something completely different from our talents. Sometimes it's things that we do in the Spirit's, with the Spirit's help that we just feel like we're not doing anything. But the Spirit is accomplishing marvelous things through what we are doing. And it could be any one of these gifts that we'll, that we'll enumerate here. It could be in generosity. It could be in showing mercy. It could be in helps, administration. It could be in just a lot of areas. When you find your spiritual gift, the Lord uses you in ways you don't even know you're being used. And, and if you stay out of the way and you let the Spirit of God do the, do the work and you just remain faithful to the exercise of those gifts, you've got to put in a, a few late nights. You've got to put in a little sweat equity. You've got to put in a little inconvenience. You've got to put up with a little uh, opposition, perhaps. There are things that you have to do when you find that gift that the God has given you. But in the exercising of it, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think properly, think soberly and wisely about the gift. Each according to the measure of faith that God has given him. For we are as one body, many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members and one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And that's basically a summary of about one and a half chapters, chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, they're summarized there. Paul goes to a lot of, uh, in a lot of detail to emphasize this. Several parts, one body, one spirit and, and the way the, the church is organized in, in terms of the dynamic organism that it is. It is the body of Christ. And so then he says, having gifts that differ. Peter called them varied gifts. Paul says they, they are 
differing gifts according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. The grace is just the gift of God. He's the one that's bestowed this upon us. God's generous in His giving, not only in giving us all things in Christ, which we saw a a couple of weeks ago, but in giving us the gifts of the Spirit. And so here's a listing of them. He says, in service, in our serving, the one. This is uh, the free exercise, the, the vigilant exercise of whatever gift it is. And it is in serving. The word that's used most of the time in the text for service is the word from which we get our word deacon. And it means taking care of people's needs, physical needs, financial needs, things of that sort. And, and there's also gifts, if you read 1 Corinthians, gifts of helps, of being able to aid. So in, in, uh, in listing that, he, he mentions uh, service. Uh, well, I miss prophecy. That's the very first one. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. The word proportion probably is it, literally the word analogy uh, in, the, in the language. And it, it, it's, it's in the analogy of faith. The analogy of faith is comparing doctrine to doctrine, getting the doctrine sound, making sure our doctrines work together, having a consistency that's sometimes called systematic theology, and having a a coherent understanding of the faith, make sure that it's founded upon the Word of God in truth, that it's the historic faith, that it's the paradisus. The paradisus is that word for tradition that Paul talks about to the younger ministers, Titus and Timothy, telling them, to, if you're going to be a preacher or a prophet, and prophecy is not only just forth, a foretelling, and that is predicting the future. We saw a lot of the, in that in the book of Daniel. But principally, a prophet is a forth teller. Most of what the prophets preached, if you read the long prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're preaching to the contemporaneous audience. They're, they're preaching to people who are in situations right now and countries that are around. It's, it's very much a part of an immediate word from God. It's very much preaching to the here and now. It's not always about predicting some future events. And so prophecy is do that according to the faith and then service. He who teaches in his teaching, there's the emphasis upon the doctrine. That's the word we we get our word doctrine from is this this notion. Uh, How important is doctrine in the life of the, the believer? Some people dismiss it. Some people think doctrine's not good. Now, those people that think doctrine's not good usually don't have good doctrine. So, you know, you can't argue with them too much. Uh, they, they don't want too much doctrine because the little bit they know, they know amiss and awry. But uh, sound doctrine, There's the clear teaching of the Word of God. And you don't come by that on your own. You have to be taught. You have to be taught principally, of course, by the Holy Spirit. But you need, you need teachers. You need people who have worked through the text, who have worked through the historical understanding of the text, the people that have lived it, you can't really teach anything unless you haven't seen it work in your life and then are able to impart it to others. And it means in a lot of ways you have to kind of uh, settle down and teach. And, and you can't always be um, exhorting. You can't always be cheerleading. Occasionally you have to go to the blackboard and work on some X's and O's in order to get the work of the Lord done in a particular ministry. And that's what the teachers are, are specialists in. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, and that word exhort is the word we've run upon many times in the New Testament. It's the word paraclete, 
We know what a paraclete is. It's someone called alongside to speak on behalf of or to render aid to. And that's what you are when you are an exhorter. You come alongside someone and you encourage them and you give them the instruction and the correction and the support that they need to understand how to walk in the paths of righteousness. Christians not only are known by the orthodoxy of what they believe, but they need to be known by the orthopraxy of how they live and what they practice. And that takes some encouragement. That takes some, some mentoring. And many people have that gift and they don't know it. Many people are exercising that gift and they don't realize it. If you've got a family member, a son or a grandson, or if you've got someone where you work or just any place that you're helping along, you're giving them some, some, some things they need to know about the Christian life and you're showing them passages of Scripture, you're teaching them principles, you're counseling with them, you're, you're doing this work. And this is a work that, that every Christian ought to be involved in to some extent or another. And that's helping along our fellow believers who are on the path along with us. And it says, and he who contributes... In generosity, uh, this is where we would use that illustration that I used a moment ago about uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. That's, the, that's the, um, the measure of honesty and integrity that needs to be in the generosity gift. In other words, you need to make sure that you are doing, and, and he'll speak a little more of that down a couple of more um, uh, gifts that are mentioned the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. The leadership. Zeal. Somebody needs to be all out for the gospel and all in for Christ. That's zeal. Uh, that's where leaders, I think, many times will fall is they just lose their zeal. They don't lose their doctrine. They don't lose their salvation. They don't lose uh, their love for things of the Lord. They just lose their zeal. They just don't, um, like that old, I can't think of who it is, but one of those old prophets in the Old Testament said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And do you know what his picture of his zeal was? He had cut off the heads of a whole bunch of false prophets and they were all piled up in a big skull pile. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think we need to have that attitude. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. If we got a pile of skulls, and those skulls are all evil that's piled up that we have overcome, that we fought against, that we've led uh, in, in victory. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's interesting. These are the ones that are going to be relating in acts of mercy in helping with widows, orphans, uh, the elderly, uh, the disabled, uh, those that uh, have um, uh, diseases, uh, acts of mercy and kindness, and especially acts of mercy, are, are things that every Christian should be primarily looking to be involved in, in somebody's life. Uh, first responsibility is for your own household. If you provide not for your household these kinds of basic needs, then you're worse than an infidel, the Bible says. So once we've covered that base, then there's places that we can, that we can be served and, and, and we can serve. And the thing you need to, to avoid there 
in your acts of mercy and administering grace to others, feeding and helping and encouraging and, and giving money and whatever you need to and helping people. And that's one of the primary obligations. And we're going we're to cover that, I think, Sunday after next. We'll be in first, 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to talk about the collections for the poor saints, taking care of those who are of the household of faith. That's one of our primary obligations as Christians. Just like back in the early church, the first thing they did was they took care of themselves. They took care of each other. They made sure that the believers didn't starve. And if anyone had any lack, they, they helped them. They made up for it. Even it, it was sacrificial giving is how the, the church was maintained. And, and, uh, and so the poor people... In it. But if you're going to minister in that area, you need to avoid two things. Fraud and favoritism. Fraud, you need to handle the money with absolute integrity. And favoritism, I think you know what that is. You, 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 you give to who needs, not just who you like the most, and, uh, or who's kin to you, or who can help you the most. There's got to be a purity of heart in that. Well, let me see what I've got here. There's another block of things here that's, uh, that needs to be mentioned. Let me just read through it real quickly as we close, and I'll comment on one of them, or maybe two. Let love be genuine. By the way, in the middle of that spiritual gift passage that Paul has in Romans, I mean in 1 Corinthians 12, there's chapter 12 of, of uh, 1 Corinthians, and there's chapter 14, and these deal with spiritual gifts and the exercise of all those gifts, including the gift of tongues and all the rest of it. What did I miss? I missed chapter 13 in the middle. What's chapter 13 about? Love. It's the love chapter. And that's the more excellent way. Whatever we do in ministry, it needs to come from a motive of genuine love. Abhor what is evil. That means to literally hate that which violates anything that God's standards call for. Hold fast to that which is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And that's that word Philadelphia that you're familiar with. It's a, it, it's a special kind of love. You know, there are different words for love in, in the New Testament. And this one is, is brothers loving each other as brothers looking after each other and caring for each other, correcting each other, admonishing one another, bearing one another's burdens, praying for one another. There's a whole lot of one another passages in the, in, in the New Testament, and this is, uh, hits upon that. It says, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. I think that's a little bit of humor that, that Paul has inserted into the text. You know, outdo each other. Just, just, just kind of go overboard a little bit in showing deference and honor and respect to your brother. Uh, you do that, and that'll build the brotherhood. I mean, I've seen little kids out there, you know, miss an easy grounder, roll real slowly out to the shortstop, and the kid muff it, and then he throws a bad throw to first. And as soon as he gets through with all this botching around on the field, his whole team comes, way to go, nice, nice, good effort, made a way, you know, way to try. Well, that's, that's overdoing it. <laughs> And if we'll, if we'll do that to one another in the work of the ministry, in showing one another honor, overdoing it, I think it'll mean. Do not be slothful in zeal. We talked about that a moment ago. Be, be fervent in spirit. And here's one I want to comment on. Serve the Lord. The word for Lord is kurios. The, Lord, the, the, uh, the word for time is kairos. It's the only difference in spelling is one little iota. You've heard people say that doesn't make an iota of difference. 
Well, the fact is the iota makes a difference in a lot of things, especially in the homoousis and the homoousis. <laughs> it made all the difference in the world in the doctrine. Well, the iota makes a difference here, and, and some manuscripts use the iota, in which, in which case it's the Lord, serve the Lord, and that's what our, our translation goes with. But some say it's, it's uh, serving the time, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Anytime you're involved in a work, Anytime you're involved in, in a process, there's time increments that you have to deal with. You have deadlines. You have things that if you do it too slowly, it's the same as not being done. You know, delayed is denied when you're giving aid and when you're helping people. If you don't help them this week, then you, don't, you lose the opportunity to help. And so some indicate that that's the admonition there. Uh, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, or serve the time. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And uh, the um, and uh, let's see, let's just finish it up. Continue uh, contributing to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. We're going to be talking more about that in a, in a couple of Sundays. The needs of the saints contribute to the needs of the saints. All right, Tommy, I told you to stop me before I went too long, and you just sitting there, so polite. You Presbyterian preachers are the politest guys I know. <laughs> 